Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Cubitt. Why was the early church so much more powerful than it seems as though the present church is? People are all, well, we have the same power. We do have the same power, but we don't walk in the same power they walked in. We have the same Holy Spirit that they had, but we don't walk in the Holy Spirit's power the way that they did. And you're all, you can't prove that to me. I don't have to prove it to you. Look around. Now, I am telling you, I'm going to talk predominantly about the American church and have talked predominantly about the American church in this particular lesson series because I believe the Asian church, the African church, the Indian church, they're all seeing first century miraculous workings of the Holy Spirit in their churches. They're seeing people converted and brought to Christ thousands and ten thousands at a time. You know why? Because they rely on the Spirit of God the way that they should. Because they are people that worship the way that they should. Because they understand, as we've talked about, that Christ is first thing. All of the things that we've talked about, they understand those things, and so they're able to walk in the power that God gave all Christians the ability to walk in. And last week we talked about they were able to do what they did because they walked or understood worship. And that worship isn't just something that you do 15 minutes pre-service every Sunday. Worship is a lifestyle. Which means I live a lifestyle. I have to live a lifestyle. If I'm going to walk in the power God has for me, I'm going to, I have to walk in a lifestyle of submission, of humility, being willing to get before my face in front of a holy, almighty, magnificent, all-powerful God recognizing that I'm not sufficient, but that His grace is sufficient. This is what worship is. This is a heart set on worship, recognizing that there is something out there so much bigger, so much more powerful than you are, and that thing is God. Amen? And I ain't even started talking about today. Y'all better hold on, buckle in. I don't know. Today I want to talk about this same, keep this same line of thinking. Why was the early church so powerful? By answering it with this statement. Because they walked in holiness. The church needs to learn to walk in holiness again. The modern church struggles... To walk in holiness, now I'm going to use the word holiness a lot, and somebody inevitably after I teach a lesson will go, man, you used such and such a word a long time, a lot. What does that mean? I want to boil it down to its simplest form. Walk in Christlikeness. I don't want to overcomplicate things for you. Well, what did Christ walk like? Open your Bible and find out. God revealed himself to you in the pages of his Bible, of his book. Amen? I'm not going to necessarily talk about that. I'm going to talk about how we walk in who He is. But we don't treat holiness, Christ-likeness, the way that we should. 
we treat it as a part-time thing that we do, not what we are. I've told the last couple of churches, you know that the righteousness, the holiness that you have isn't your holiness. It's Christ Jesus' holiness. It's His righteousness. He gave it to you to wear as a garment according to the Word of God. Put on. The problem is, though, we put on when we come in on Sunday. You know, we all put it on. We're all, look at me looking all good up in my righteousness. Without spot or wrinkle or blemish. And then before we leave, we pass the spiritual coat rack. We take our righteousness off. We hang it on the, the hook that belongs to us. And we leave it laying there all week while we act like hell all week. That's the truth. We're supposed to carry that with us wherever we go. The perfection of God has been given to us to be an example to the people around us so that we may walk in a way that glorifies God in all that we do. Is everybody alright? We have to be people of purity. That's what it is to be holy. It means to be pure, sinless, upright, having no lack, being set apart. You're like, man, I can't be perfect. You can't be perfect, but the Spirit of God in you is perfect, and He can help you get perfect. He has, in fact, made you perfect in Christ Jesus, which is what I'm going to talk about in a minute, but there's still a making you perfect that has to happen. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. I tell you, God gave you holiness, not just for you, but for the people around you. How many of you guys have ever had a banana? Anybody ever eat a banana? Maybe saw one on TV or something? When you go to the store and you look at a banana and you think, I'm going to buy this banana. What are you buying the banana for? Are you buying it for the inside of the banana or the outside of the banana? Inside the banana. Y'all ever eat the outside of a banana? I took the bite of the outside of a banana one time. It's waxy. It's kind of weird and gritty tasting. It's gross. But if you peel that bad boy open... It's, it's wonderful. Now let me ask you this question. How do you determine which banana you buy? By what it looks like on the outside. Man, I got this good looking banana. It may be the best banana on the whole earth. But if it's green and hard and I can nail in a nail with it, I'm not going to buy it. Or if it's black and bruised and all gross and mushy looking, I'm not going to buy it. And yet we tell people, or I hear it regular, God concerns himself with the inside, not the outside. God's concerned with both. But let me tell you, he put what's inside of you inside of you so that you can reflect properly what's on the outside so that people might want what you have on the inside. we got to start living like that banana. I know that sounds super weird, right? That's going to end up a bullet point in someone's decree of how ridiculous a teacher I am. But let, my pastor said you should be a banana. But you get the idea. That which is in the inside of you should come out to the outside of you. 
We serve a God that is so big. If He's inside of you, He has to squeeze out of you somewhere. And if He's not, I would ask you to ask yourself the question, is He really inside of you? That's not a condemnation of you. I'm not questioning your salvation. I'm asking you to go in a heart of worship before the throne room of God and ask Him, God, am I reflecting you properly? Or am I bruised or hard? Am I not showing people what you expect me to show them? We have to be holy and in that holiness walk in holiness so that people who don't know, Angela and I have a sign in our kitchen that says live your life in such a way that the people that don't know you or don't know Jesus but know you will come to know Jesus because they know you. This is our responsibility in walking in holiness. Why? Why do we have to be holy? Because God said so. How awesome would it be if we lived in a world where a pastor could just stand up in his pulpit and say, this is what we do because the Bible said so. See y'all next week. But the Bible says, be holy as he is holy. It doesn't get much more declarative than that. Be holy because he is holy. Be pure. Be righteous. Be right. Walk in an upstanding fashion. Which you're capable of doing only because of the Spirit of God in you. Only because Christ saved you. But walk in holiness. Because that which is inside of you is holy. So we're required to walk in holiness. And that walking in holiness was a convictional attitude of the vintage church. The early church. It needs to be a convictional attitude of the modern American church too. So I'm going to teach out of Colossians chapter 3 if I haven't told you this already. Verse 1 in chapter 3. It says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. You've been raised up with Christ. So do yourself a favor. Keep seeking heavenly things. Keep seeking after Christ. Keep seeking heavenly things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's a lot of heavy theology right there, man. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Amen. The first point I want to make today, maybe potentially the only point I make today, is that we walk in holiness. Our holiness begins in Christ. Because without Christ we have no holiness. It's His holiness that we carry. We can only be holy because Christ 
is holy. And we have been positioned in Him. I love this text. Like I said, there's a lot of theology here. We could spend probably, there could be a whole series written, maybe even a book on these four verses. It says, Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. Verse 3, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Did I use a banana analogy earlier? I feel like I talked about a banana earlier. You should be covered in Christ the way that banana is covered by that field. You know why you're baptized? To be totally, to, to demonstrate the spiritual truth that you have been totally engulfed and immersed in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ Jesus. You belong to Christ Jesus. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make a simpleton's message here today. I'm just trying to be very pointed with you. I've found more often than not the simplest of theologies are the hardest to grab a hold of. I think I shared with you guys before, I can't remember who said it, but he said the greatest theological statement he's ever heard was Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And if we could just get a hold of that, we'd have all this other stuff whooped. Because literally, all this other stuff says that. So we're in Him. How did we become in Him? How did we end up raised up in Him? Can I tell you, this is a question that can only be answered by the declaration of the gospel. That you were dead to your sin. Too many people, man, when you ask them, say, hey, tell me the gospel. They start, it, they start with John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. No, 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 Jesus is the solution. He's not the reason why you need the gospel. You need to start on why you need the gospel. Because according to the word of God, you're dead in your sins and your trespasses. Romans 3.10, and I'm not trying to be harsh, I want you to understand, you can't know the goodness of God unless you understand what a horrible person and condition you were in. And so Romans 3.10 tells us that all, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one is righteous. Go read 10 through 323. And you're going to just really soak that in. It tells you the absolute depravity of who you are or who you were before Christ Jesus. And then Romans 3.23, he said, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You were dead in your trespasses, according to Ephesians 2.1. There was no chance of you having eternal life outside of Christ Jesus. Provoked by the Spirit of God, you were dead, made alive because He determined to make you alive. Man, that's so good. You know why that's good? Because without that truth, 
without the truth that I was dead but made alive in Christ Jesus, I'd still be dead, destined for, for an eternity without a God that loves me so much He sent His Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We were dead. That's where the gospel starts. We were dead, but God. I love those but God statements in the Bible, man. But God, knowing we were separated, had a plan to redeem us, to buy us back. You were a slave to the sin that held you captive. Now, according to Romans 6, a slave to righteousness. You know how that happened? Because He bought you. He bought you from the master that you belong to and allows you to have the privilege of Him being Master, Lord, and Savior of your life. Somebody should be excited about that. He redeemed you. He paid the price. The Bible says that we owed a debt that we couldn't pay. But God redeemed us. Well, Pastor, you, I get what you're saying, man. I don't think you understand the debt I was in. I, I was a whoremonger. But God. I was a drug addict. But God. I was a liar, a cheat, a thief. But God. I was an adulterer. But God. I was this. I was that. Name the worst sin. I was a murderer. But God. You're all, well, at least I wasn't a murderer. According to the Word of God, if you've had evil thoughts in your heart, you're a murderer. But God. We live by a new standard, a holy standard, which says that we have to love people so much to even hold evil in our heart towards them is to kill them. But God. But can I tell you something else? This is for those of you that have been saved since you were four. And God bless you. You need a bug guy moment too. Man, I've been saved my whole life. Well, that's great. Except for the Bible tells us that you're a sinner both by nature and by action. And so even if you never committed a fleshly sin, which isn't possible because of the nature you have, you'd still be destined to an eternity without God, to hell. But God, God redeemed you. God saw you where you were and said, not that one. That one belongs to me. I'm going to keep that one. He's heard the message. Where he was unrighteous, I have now made him righteous. Where he was a murderer, where he was an adulterer, where he was a drug addict, where he was a womanizer or a woman beater or a man beater, I don't know, whatever he was or whatever she was, she's not that anymore. She's saved by grace, redeemed because I love her. Can I ask you just to please rest in that? 
rest in that peace? You know how much easier it's going to be able to, to be to walk in holiness knowing that God loves you? My desire to walk in holiness has, and I hope this comes out right, has less to do with the fact that I'm told to and more with the fact that I am so grateful that I want to please the God that saved me. I walk next to my wife in purity because I love her. As a, My motivation is the love I have for her. I don't cheat on my wife. I don't think about cheating on my wife because I love her. And my love is imperfect. God gave us a perfect love in His Holy Spirit to teach us to walk in that love, to walk in that perfect holiness. But God redeemed us. Ah, it's good. Ephesians 1, 7. In Him we have, been, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. I want y'all to, I'm going to think y'all caught that because you're still sitting in your chair. In Him, we have redemption. We've been redeemed. We've been bought back. How were we bought back? What currency? Through His blood. And what did it buy us? Forgiveness. According to the riches of His grace. Listen to that. All of that. In Him. Through Him. Because of Him. Forgiveness. You know the only thing we had to offer in that equation? Trespass. Is the sin that required that equation to exist. And God's asking us, reflect my son, walk as Christ walked, live as Christ lived. But I'm not just going to leave you out there by yourself to do it. I'm going to empower you by the Holy Spirit to do it. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. John 3.16, one of the first verses I ever learned. My grandmother taught me when I was a kid. She used to drag me to the sunroom at our house and she'd make me memorize Bible verses before I went to school because she'll tell you she had a, a dream that I would be a pastor long before I realized that dream and she began to train me for what she saw my future to look like and so this is one of the first which is what we're doing to our grandson right now Every now and then, y'all may walk in and hear me say, Hey, Pastor Owen, tell me about Jesus. That's fine. So, this is one of the first verses that she taught me. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only begotten Son, that's Jesus, that whosoever believeth in him, Jesus, Should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
That's beautiful, right? I used to think that was the most beautiful verse on earth once I came to the realization of what that verse is. But it's not. I think the most beautiful verses in some of the most beautiful verses in the scripture are the two verses after this verse. And this is what they say. You're all, come on, Pastor Jim, you serious, man? It's hard to beat John 3.16. It's in every football game. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world. God didn't send Jesus here to condemn you. But as the world might be saved through Him, He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. That's the beautiful piece. That Jesus came because you were judged already to remove you from that judgment so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the redemption we're talking about. That's what Jesus Christ came for. That's how you were justified. You're justified by Christ Jesus. He justified us, which is another spiritual word. I know I'm using a lot of spiritual words today, so let me make this make sense. You've been found not guilty, my friend. But that's not all. Most of us would be just happy to be found not guilty. And I know a bunch of people that have been found not guilty in a court of law. But their arrest record still shows if you pull it up. If you'll look up justification as it's used in the scripture, in regard to Christ Jesus, it means not guilty to the degree it is though as you have never been charged. This is the beauty of a sin that's been forgiven and forgotten. Jesus could have forgiven our sin, but the Bible says that he forgot it too. As far as from the east is to the west, threw it behind him, forgot it, threw it into the ocean. All of these things, these are all to say one truth, that God doesn't remember your sin. And so why do I tell you this? I'm telling you this, one, because it's what the Bible says, but two, sit in your but God moment and rest in it and find comfort in it and find peace in it and stop condemning yourself over something that God has already forgiven you for because every time you go to the throne room of God and remind Him of a sin He's forgotten, I am convinced, first thing He goes is, what are you talking about, son? Could you imagine going to your dad? He says, tomorrow you're getting a paddling for what you did today. And you're all, so you don't sleep all night, right? And you're creeping around about 8 o'clock in the morning around the house, 10 o'clock in the morning, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, 5 o'clock in the evening. You ain't got a beating yet. He told you it was coming. You go to lay down. You realize, he forgot that beat. The reasonable thing for any kid to do would be to stand up, get dressed, go downstairs, wake dad up and say, hey, you forgot to beat me today. Nobody's doing that, but that's how stupid we are when we go before the throne room of grace and ask forgiveness for a sin that we've already been forgiven over. 
Because God loves us that much. We've been justified. Not just made not guilty, but as though we'd never been charged. Not for anything that we've done, but according to Romans 3.24, is a gift by His grace in Christ Jesus. And through it, we've escaped. We've escaped the wrath of God. I could prove that to you in Scripture. Romans 5, 9. Much more than having been justified by the blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. And as much as we've been saved, we've been removed from the wrath of God. Rest in that. And use that truth to give you comfort to walk in Christ's likeness to give you confidence to walk in Christ's likeness because that's really the command 1 John 2.6 the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner he walked I don't want to heap a bunch of rules and stuff on you I want you to rest in the fact that the gospel happened because you needed it to happen. That he saved you, bought you back, justified you, and saved you from the wrath of God. That's beautiful. I'll tell you, I had a plan to go through one through all the way through verse 17. And in all three services, I only made it through four. But that's okay. Let me tell you why. Paul is very, it's very typical of Paul to write out theology first and then show how that works out practically in our life. The theology is found in 1 through 4. In 5 through 17, you hear, take this off, take this off, take this off, take this off, put this on, put this on, put this on. If you'll rest, and the salvation that God gave you, recognizing that He covers you, that He loves you, that He did the work for you, trust in the Holy Spirit to complete the work the Spirit started in you, you'll find it's more, it's less a process of taking off and more a process of falling off as you put on the thing the rest of the text says, which is issues of loving one another and loving God. How do I get rid of all the junk in my life? Draw near to God. That's what Paul says. How do I become more, or not positionally, but progressively righteous? How do I become more progressively Christ-like? Love God and love people. But you can't do that if you don't realize that the righteousness that you have, the holiness that you have, the Christ-likeness that you have, isn't yours but his and that's my prayer for you today that you walk in that peace in that understanding and recognize that that but God moment was enough even if it was a moment that only lasted that long was enough of a moment to save your life